This episode of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Text Control. They're not only the creator of the fully featured document editor library for .NET and Angular applications, but their libraries also support powerful PDF functionality. Instead of programming PDF documents, you can simply use Microsoft Word templates and merge them with data to create pixel-perfect PDF and PDF-slash-A documents. Also, fillable form elements like form text boxes, checkbox fields, and drop-down elements can easily be added to PDF files. TX Text Control provides developers the complete solution to handle PDF documents in business processes. Check them out at textcontrol.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And, uh, wow, it's going to be a good show. Kim Carter is here. And uh, I'm... What am I doing? What are you doing? I'm working on blazer sliders and of course you know with cheese and with cheese and onions and this is the it's been four shows since i talked about it yeah but it's still only the second of march as we record this um because we recorded blocks but i'm loving it i mean i basically got something working and now i've just completely made it better you're always writing code man that's the truth i am yeah most people watch you know netflix i write code no, I'm not that guy either. No, I'm happy reading a scientific paper, making good notes, and finding something new. But I can't yeah, tell no. anybody because even my wife just—it's an instant eye roll. You did what with where? How? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I got something even more blazer for better know framework. So roll the crazy music. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? More Blazor. Well, I'm going to talk about Blazor virtualization. Hmm. And so, this is something that Dan Roth talked about when we talked about .NET 5. Right. And Blazor now has the ability to show large sets of data in the UI, only grabbing from you by calling a, a method right. that you have to implement when it needs data and how much it needs. So, kind of a lazy load thing. Well, lazy loading is, I don't want to confound that with another feature of .NET 5 Blazor, which is lazy loading, but that's lazy lazy loading an entire DLL, a component. Right. But this is, yeah, it's sort of like lazy loading when you talk about data access. Yeah. It's on demand. And so, I did a Blazor train episode about this. And what I'm linking to in, um, you know, 1734.pwop.me is actually the documentation from Microsoft. But okay. if you go to blazertrain.com, look for virtualization, you can see and download my code. The demo that I did, first of all, generates 5,000 person records. Right. And it saves those to a JSON file. Turns out it's 10 megabytes of JSON file. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. AKA Saturday night at my place. But yeah, okay. <laughs> right. So it begs the question, why are you trying to load 5,000 records in the yes. browser at the same time? That's Never stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, some we have customers and customers want what they want, right? They want, they you want know? even when it's dumb. Yeah. No, my brother used to do this in Access and it worked great, you know. <laughs> so we want all right. those records. So, you can actually do this. You can um, be efficient 
when you're displaying these large sets of data. Now, of course, you have to download them all, but right. you don't necessarily. So, here's the thing. If you make an API endpoint that has a range of records to get. So, you can do some paging. Yeah, you think of it like that. Like, I want starting at ID, you know, one and going to ID 20, and that'll get me the first 20 records. Right. And then as, you know, you, you go on, every time you get this call, you can go back to the API and just get the records you want. And so, the experience to the end user is, wow, I'm, so, I'm scrolling through 5,000 records here. Yeah. It looks like it. Whether you are or not, it's another question entirely. Yeah, it just looks like it, but that's enough. I mean, that's yeah, what yeah. they're doing. That You can't tell them otherwise. But the thing is, just with Virtualize, if you do that, you scroll to the top page and you get 20 records. You scroll to the bottom page, you get 20 records. Now scroll to the front top page again, and you get those 20 records again. So the next step would be put them in a cache, a local cache. And right. now every time that we go in, we want to get some new items we go through each item and is if it's in the cache that gets returned but if it's not in the cache go get it and instead of getting them one at a time which is crazy i actually put them in a list of ids and then just go get a one shot to the api to get all the ids all the records that aren't in the cache so it turns out to be really uber efficient when you mm -hmm. have a lot of data and get, get this richard campbell I'm going to use this on our next, the next version of .NET Rocks.com, which is going to be minimalist and all Blazor and virtualized. As long as it's SEO friendly, that's what I care about is people yep. being able to find us. It's going to be SEO friendly. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. So, that's what my better know framework is today. Know it, learn it, love it. Good. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 1625, which is one we did with Victoria Almazova uh, from NDC London in 2019, back in, mm -hmm. in the before times, when we were talking about security <laughs> and applications. And we talked about OWASP in there, and I know we're talking OWASP today, so I thought it, it yeah. would adjoin very nicely. And, of course, Victoria was diving specifically yeah. into, listen, these are the things you should be doing your applications to sort of get security in there up front. And JD has this comment, admittedly, this is two years ago now, because it's 2021. Uh, he says, I think the change of mindset is not don't trust input, but rather assume malice. So, I think JD's a little on the foil hat side, Yeah, absolutely. You know. uh, developers <laughs> are optimists. True. We tend to test software while it yes. is working. We develop blind spots because we use our own software correctly. Bugs and exploits don't get exercised because they require us to use the software, quote, wrong. We need to stop using our software no. right. We need to assume that an evil genius who knows the code as well as we do wants it to fail. Mm. If we can't make our code break, then we have not thought hard enough about its threat surface. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I mean, it's a, it's a little on the paranoid side, but just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean they are not to get you. But it's actually yes. not bad. I mean, you, 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 you do have to at some point assume, all right. How, you know, do a threat assessment and figure out yeah. how would somebody get in here? Yeah. And what it, what, what could else. a bad actor do? Right. Right. I, and even when it's an internal employee, you know, over on the run ass side, we're having these conversations. It's like, listen, employees break software all the time. They utilize exploits. Like this stuff happens. You've got to plan for it. 
Uh, so, J.D., thank you so much for your comment. Very relevant to our conversation today. And a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there as well. And if you comment there and read it on the show, I'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. And don't worry about scalability. We'll handle that from here. Email scales pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, with that, let's, uh, introduce, uh, back to the show for the second time, uh, Kim Carter. Kim is a technologist slash engineer, information security professional, entrepreneur, founder of Binary Mist LTD, founder of Purple Team Labs, OWASP New Zealand chapter leader, certified scrum master, facilitator, mentor, and motivator of cross-functional self-managing teams. <gasps> Holy crap, I'm just a musician who writes code. <laughs> how, how you doing, man? Yeah, Welcome good, back. Good. good to be back. Thanks, guys. Yeah. How's New Zealand these days? Uh, not in as much lockdown as most of the rest of the world, it seems. Yeah. Didn't you just have one, though? Auckland's, Auckland's, uh, Auckland's gone back into um, deep sort of lockdown, uh, level three, I believe, um, and... Christchurch, we're in two, which is pretty mild. means we can still get out. We've just got to do the social distancing thing and wear masks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've had that and, yeah, yeah, there's been um, the mosque shootings and stuff like that. There's been all sorts of drama. Yeah, yeah, you guys have had the full meal deal in the past (laughs) decade. No two ways about it. But, yeah, that's the – I've I've always kept notes because I'm prone to the geek outs around th- how cities die. You know, just this idea of like when does a city end? Because it's happened in the past; it hasn't happened recently. And the the Christchurch earthquake, like, there's whole neighborhoods that got red zoned, that got shut down, and and people bought out even against their will. Like, it's just fascinating to me this idea of. I feel like the government did it responsibly, although the opinions vary, of course, in the sense of getting people out of uh, off of ground that they used to have homes on that is no longer safe. Yeah, yeah. Our original place um, was, uh, I wouldn't quite call um, it that it was in the red zone, but it was, um, it was, it's, it's, it's pretty much well ruined. Um, It's, it's livable, but it's not insurable. Mm. Right. Yeah. Because who knows what happens if another earthquake shows up? Like, it's just, it's, to me, it's very fascinating. And, and admittedly, I'm on the other side of the world, man. It's an academic exercise. This is your home. That's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the place that you built and uh, that's important to you and your family was that. So, I mean, I, I, I hope you're well, I, you know, getting through that. It's only 10 years. It's not that long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the teenagers at the time, um, I did it pretty hard. I think like our boys, mm-hmm. um, are, uh, 27 and 24 and um mm. and they did it pretty hard yeah yeah well and i have friends that uh that la- that went to auckland and then it, because it took took years to get that resolution done and then mm. ultimately they were red zone but in the meantime they were kind of in limbo it's like why are we waiting here yeah and they went back up north and uh and they've never gone back we've only just started rebuilding the uh, city center cathedral yeah yeah Mm. It takes way longer than you it's think. It's going to take right? a while. Like it's, it takes a long, it takes time, a long huh? time to deal with these things. And 
Yeah. Who know the ground is different. Like things have changed. It's it's hard to to think in terms of what what that even looks like. Yeah. So can you remind us, Kim, what OWASP is and the OWASP Foundation? Yeah, so OWASP is um, the Open Web Application Security Project. Um, so, uh, so it's a worldwide sort of organisation that has a has a whole lot of resources. It has um, like uh, so basically uh, there's chapters in cities all around the world, um, and then um, part of those uh, chapters' responsibilities is to run meetups, uh, run uh, conference events, and other types of events and that sort of thing and then there's a project side of it which um which is yeah um so um individuals decide they want to create a a software project and um ask iwas whether they want to adopt it and it's yes or no and um there's all sorts of learning materials as yeah there's a plethora of learning materials for um uh, for people that want to sort of uh, get better at their security it's it's pretty much all targeted at um, software engineers and developers so it's a combination of learning materials and suggestions or best practices tools and, uh, code examples and tools yeah all of that yeah so it isn't like something that you just like install in .NET. oh i got oasp <laughs> Yeah, no, not quite like that at all. <laughs> yeah. Just squirt it all over the computer. It'll be good. Little <laughs> OWASP in there. Uh, I went and services. checked the OWASP top 10 list in my prep here. And look at that. SQL injection, still number one. Builder.services.addOWASP. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> so they just call it injection now, right? They used to um, actually yeah. call it SQL mm. injection. Now it's just injection because there's so many types. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom line is, yeah, this is just, I mean, it, it's kind of nice that they're diversifying it because that also speaks to it's not just SQL getting exploited. Mm. It is, you know, vulnerabilities right. in operating systems. It is LDAP. Like, there's other things that are vulnerable that allow a hacker to inject instructions into the su- into to the server and change its behavior. Yeah. You remember um, last right. time you interviewed me, um, I'm, I think it was my book series, and I cover most of these in my book series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're all things we could be doing. So, Binary Mist is your blog, right? Uh, so, Binary Mist is my um, a business. <laughs> it also okay. happens to be my uh, um, online handle in most places just because it was before the business happened. I see. Yeah. And and then Purple Team is what? So, uh, Purple Team is a, a security regression testing SaaS for uh, web applications and APIs. Yeah. And it's just sort of, yeah, it's... I put it on top of the Purple Team Labs name, um, so that if we decide to build other tools in the future, we can Purple Teaming like tools. All right, and it looks like you're. Uh, it just went alpha. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, tell um, us a little so, more about it. Yeah, um, so it's basically been about three years um, in the in the workings. Uh, so I um, so I did a proof of concept. Uh, w- w- must have been four, four and a half years ago, and basically took that to a lot of meetups and conferences all around the world, and that just to, uh, to mainly to elicit developer feedback and work out whether um, this was something that uh, developers could get use out of, and 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 work out whether building something like this would be um, a, it would be a viable product for uh, developers and their teams. Um, to catch uh, security defects as they're being introduced, as they're coding. 
and it turned out it was so I dived into it and spent sort of um two and a half three years uh taking <laughs> a proof of concept uh through to um, an alpha uh, release and that's been on top of a day job uh, most of the time uh so uh, so I'm a, a consultant um so so when I don't have work um I'm doing purple team hmm I think most people know the concept of like the red team being attackers and the blue team being defenders. What's a purple team? So, yeah, so there's a few different takes on this, right? Um, mm-hmm. My take is that it's a, just a development team that understands both, uh, that understands that it is under attack, or its code is under attack, and that also knows how to uh, defend itself. So that's where the purple team concept actually comes from. And it's basically a, a CLI and a backend that you you basically go looking for defects and then give you some advice on how to fix them. Well, yeah. defects mean security vulnerabilities. Yeah. So yeah. So purple team the um the project is is that um so what it's got is it's got uh it's got uh, three testers in the back end. Um, two are not actually implemented yet. They're stubbed out, but the application tester, which was the main tester, um, which gives people the best bang for buck at the moment, um, is, is the main, yeah, so that's the main tester in there. And then that uh, consumes an emissary. Uh, currently it's consuming Zap, uh, OWASP Zap, which is an HTTP inter- intercepting proxy, which actually does uh, most of the work, uh, looking for defects. And, um, yeah, so, uh, some requests are proxied uh, uh, through Zap using Selenium, and the app scanner itself, which is the tester, is responsible for looking after uh, the emissary, and then the orchestrator, which is at the front of that, which takes its requests from the CLI, basically orchestrates the whole back end. Yeah, nice. It looks really cool. It looks complicated, but it yeah. seems like it's easy to use once you set it up. Yeah, there's quite a bit of setup involved in it. So, so, so that's why I decided to uh, create two environments. So there's a local environment and there's a cloud environment. The local environment I've put into OWASP. So OWASP is um, is now owning that environment, and it basically means that uh, people can set up the whole environment and the CLI on their own systems or on their own network. Uh, the cloud environment. Um, is the same, but all the back end is set up for you, which basically takes away a lot of work. And sure. uh, that's, um, that's, um, that costs because we have to basically look after the infrastructure and set everything up. Sure. Right. Yeah. So it strikes me that taking, adding this to an existing app is just like adding tests to an existing project. Like it's just going to be a bunch of work to, to do it well. So, so how it works is that instead of actually writing tests, you no longer need to write them. So, Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea with the proof of concept and um, and with what a lot of people are doing with the uh, Zap API is they're actually writing tests uh, that uh, target the Zap API and their web application. Um, so all that's uh, hidden in the um, Purple Team backend and in the CLI. Basically, all you need to do is plug the CLI into your build and uh, run Purple Team test, and all the rest is taken care of uh, for you. Right. The backend's smart enough to know. Um, how to go about testing and uh, and what sort of things to test for. All you need to do as a 
as a build user, which is the developer um, inserting uh, the Purple Team CLI into your build pipeline, is um, is to create a small JSON file which uh, which uh, describes your routes, uh, some of the fields in your routes, um, some authentication, uh, so that uh, the so that uh, Purple Team knows how to uh, log into your um, application or API. Uh, and that's yeah, not a lot more than that. So there's no tests being written at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all right. yeah. So the idea there is that it's 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 much easier to get um, set up and going, and you don't need to write tests. What are the most common um, security flaws that you find? I mean, I don't know if you have you're looking at your customer data or not, but some of the most common things, the threats that we find in everyday software. Yeah, so it's still the OWASP top 10, basically. It is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, injection, injection, injection. But I, <laughs> I appreciate the number two being broken authentication because I have seen a ton of that recently. Like We've twitched a bunch in designs of authentication in the past few years and feel like there's a lot of detritus of bad authentication out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is that it keeps getting harder as well. So, like, we keep getting mm-hmm. all these extra bells and whistles to – um, so that we can um, set up authentication on our, our distributed APIs and stuff like that, and it's all getting harder, so more mistakes happen. Right. Yeah. So you're more likely to do it wrong. Yeah, but that doesn't ins- that doesn't excuse the likes of um, a SQL injection, right? We're, I would have right. thought that by no. now we all understand what it is and um, that it's actually not that well. It shouldn't be that easy to um, mitigate. Uh, sorry, that are uh, difficult to mitigate. Right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm stunned. I keep waiting for injection to fall off the top of the list. And the only good news I can see here is at least they're talking about other forms of injections besides exploiting SQL. Yeah. Yeah. There's all sorts of them. Eh? Like I list probably about 10 of them in my book and uh, in different ways you can go about um, exploiting and uh, mitigating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it is it just that apps are getting so complicated that uh, we we just aren't able to to keep up here? Yeah, so I believe it is a lot of that. I also believe that it's um, a lot of churn in in our um, developers. So, I mean, a lot of our developers are juniors and intermediates, and mm-hmm. yeah, it just seems like uh, yeah, like we've still got a lot of young developers, and I don't think that's really ever going to go away. I guess the field attracts uh, young people, young sharp minds. Well, there are worse things in this world, right? Like, mm. it's just you'd hope they get better at it too. We, I don't. Is it just is this leadership not prioritizing security that we just don't seem to be getting on top of this? Yeah, so that's sort of a whole another discussion. Um, so I'm I'm one of those people that um, is all for are getting some leadership into the development team and getting those uh, security experts not leaving the team but staying in the development teams. Mm-hmm. So, like, you've actually got some security experts within your team. They, um, yeah, so they like to call them um, uh, uh, security champions. Right. Yeah, which basically just helps the rest of the team to upskill on security concepts uh, and, yeah, watches over them. Um, a lot like a uh, scrum master, to be honest. And is that really with the eye to trying to integrate security in as you go or that you make sure you're putting cycles into Retrofitting security on application. Yeah, so uh, not the latter. <laughs> so yeah, the idea. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah, we don't want to retrofit, right? Because that's uh, that's sort of like uh, getting further towards right 
Okay, so we've developed this application. Uh, now we send it over to uh, the penetration testers, and it's just too right. late in the development life and cycle. And they tear it apart. Yeah, yeah, it's it's too costly. And what happens is we've got um, security experts then um, tripping over the OWASP top ten uh, when they should be uh, look, um, looking for uh, more obscure issues. Right. Like, uh, those OWASP top 10 shouldn't even exist by the time it hits the uh, um, red teamers and penetration testers. They should have all been weeded out uh, during development. Does that ever actually happen, Kim, that somebody passes the top 10 uh, right off the bat? Mm, not really. It, <laughs> it gets I mean, close. If we got the top two. If you had reasonable authentication and no obvious ejection attacks, like I'd throw a party then. Yeah, it does get close, right? So, so there's some organizations doing really well and some um, engineering teams doing really well. And those are the ones that actually understand that this is a thing. It's important to, to weed your security defects out uh, during development yeah. and, you know, tool up, you know, I mean, get um, a good security static analysis and dynamic analysis tools, you know, throw good tools at the problem and and change your culture. Your culture's got to be one where you are thinking about security during your sprints. Right. And and I got to imagine after some practice, like this is just part of the workflow yeah. that, that security is layered in the whole time. You just got to get over that initial yeah. hump. Well, the thing is it doesn't take any extra time either. Once you've, done, right. once you've got your culture sorted out and you're tooled up, it's all sort of like it just becomes part of the build pipeline and then, and then as defects pop out, then, you know, like you might have a nightly build running. So like Purple Team fits into like a nightly build really well and then the developers mm -hmm. come in in the morning and then realize, oh, damn, I made a mistake yesterday or I... I left a vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, I wrote some code. I left a, um, a vulnerability in there and I've now got a report that shows me what that uh, a vulnerability is. It gives me a pretty good idea where it is and gives me a good mm -hmm. idea of how to fix it. It's actually pretty trivial to fix at that point in time. Yeah, if you just put the cycles in. I, yeah, because yeah. you remember what you did yesterday, right? But you know, That's the question is, do you remember? I was exactly where I was going to go. Like, I've tried to get test labs down to 15 minutes that when you push, you push code that I'm going to have it gone through uh, an, an internal round of tests in 15 minutes. Because I figure that's about as much time as it takes for you to go get a coffee and come back. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. So you can get some security tools like fast running security tools, static analysis uh, mainly, um, and mm -hmm. and um, insecure libraries and all that sort of stuff into your build pipeline. Um, uh, that's good for CI, uh, but for a nightly build and that sort of thing, that's generally where the likes of Purple Team will fit, uh, where right. dynamic um, application security testing is going to fit because it takes a little bit longer normally. Yeah, but I also appreciate if that's the first thing you see in the morning is the security report from the work the day before, you're likely to pick that up and work on it. Like the, the, the first efforts of the day is to clean up the security problems you introduced yesterday. Then, then you can go on to the next things. Yeah, yeah. The good thing about Purple Team also is that it's got um, it's got a control on there um, for the likes of when our development teams pick up a Brownfields projects, and they've got existing defects in there, so you can um, dial yeah. the defect count. Um, so that you dial it to uh, what it currently is, and then it won't alert. Right. So yeah. So if you've got existing bugs in there, you can still get a clean bill of health until you decide you're going to attack some of those existing defects. Right. So, 
So you, you, at least you're aware if you're introducing new exactly. security issues before you before you manage to burn down all the old security issues. That's pretty smart. But it's just sort of a recognition of, yeah, somebody's going to go in and spend time in that module burning down the security concerns we have, but new code still needs to be written. Yeah. And at least, you know, give the rest of the world some, you know, it's hard to prioritize security features. They don't look like anything when they, when they're finished. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah, right. <laughs> you know, unless it's like, and then we introduced MFA and annoyed everybody. It's like, congratulations, we're more secure. We've added authentication. Go get your phone. Let me teach you about authenticator. Yeah, you need that balance of uh, usability as well. Yeah. I was, I ended up in a conversation about flipping password managers again the other day. And, uh, and one of the points I brought up to someone that really resonated with them, like now they wanted to go look, was not securing passwords, but actually having a list of all the places you have accounts and the fact that you have not logged into that account for years. Like, maybe you should go delete that account. Like, most people are just not aware of the effluent of accounts they've left behind in sites they never went back to again. Mm, and potentially still using the same passwords that they're using now. Yeah, and that, and they only use the same passwords, and the site's decrepit and been exploited, and now that password's out in the wild. Yep. Uh, and I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun Application Performance Monitoring, you've got all the information you need right at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. Raygun makes it easy to monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. Visit Raygun.com and join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every day to deliver flawless experiences for their customers. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial. And we're back. It's Donnet Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey, hey. Hey, here's our friend Kim Carter, way down in Christchurch, New Zealand, the other side of the world, the end of the internet, so to speak. If you look at the undersea cable maps, boy, you really are in a corner down there. <laughs> <laughs> so being in internet security, what a fun combination of things. Have yeah. the new architectures, the new approach to building software, like pushing pushing web apps into the cloud, does that help us with security to any degree? Like, is this a, a good practice? So I think it just changes it. I don't know if it really helps it. Uh, yeah, I guess... Uh, so there's pros and cons to it, right? So it basically just means that you've got to uh, switch your focus to um, to the cloud provider. Are they doing their job mm. properly? If you're using a decent-sized cloud provider, generally the answer is yes, and it's right. um, understand uh, what tooling and options and knobs and levers are available. That's basically what it's um, changed to because they exist. You just need to know where they are and what they are and how to use them. Mm. Interesting, yeah. And and often we don't. We do the minimum to get up and running, and then we're busy doing the work and not actually looking at it. Uh, over on the on the run-as side, I've done some shows with a guy named Dana Epp, who's seri you know pretty serious about security. And we talked about the fact that the defaults in stuff like Azure are not necessarily about the most secure features, but about the ones that create the fewest number of tech support requests. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's That's like, actually yeah. the motivation. It's like the um, it's like all the um, permissions and that, and AWS and that, and I mean, you go through the documentation, and generally, what they'll t- um, tell you to do is uh, basically leave everything open to start with, so you can get it all running, and then uh, lock right. it down later. But does that later actually come? And do the well, and it, but herein lies the same story, right? Build the app, we'll add security later. Like, isn't yeah. that what they just described? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, that being said, it is a valid point of while you're trying to get things working, you are mm-hmm. going to bump into security problems, which you're likely to turn off if they aren't already off until you can get to a working state. It's just a question of when do you turn it back on. Yeah, yeah. So I've done similar um, with our setting up purple team in the cloud. So I've left things kind of open until I understand what's happening, and mm-hmm. then and then I go through and lock it all down. I lock everything down, and then just watch the errors, and then basically just I trawl through the logs, and then open everything up that I need to open up. That's basically how I've attacked it. Right. Yeah, and it, it's still a question of like, have I locked down enough? I get you know, I do get to a point where it's like I want to lock down enough that I can actually see that I'm breaking something mm-hmm. now. That these change your permissions yeah. actually have impacted something or new authentication window pops or something to give me a sense that I'm actually twiddling a knob that's attached to anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean every time I've changed settings, run it, no difference. It's like, do those settings do anything? Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. And it's also a big push on and I've Certainly in the IT space, but I'm sure this is true of developers, is like you're typically running on an account that has way more privileges than the normal user. And so you are never having a normal user experience. Yeah, so I'm using I'm using Terraform with all um with all with all our cloud infrastructure. So it, it right. which helps a lot, right? So it, basically so um, at the end of the day I can tear the whole thing down. Um mm-hmm. so I've got with Purple Team I've got five uh a Terraform roots, so I've got a static root uh, which sets up stuff that I basically never tear down, uh, like permissions and stuff like that. And then I've got um, a network root which needs to be run after the static root, which just sets up the network. That also pretty much stays static. It's got some TLS um, certificates and other things in there as well. And then the API authentication, and then the container orchestration, and then the actual API root. So there's five root uh, five roots there, and they all generally need to be set up in order and they're all taking mm-hmm. inputs from the previous routes outputs but the good thing is is that um generally when you go through and you apply those routes um if your permissions aren't right uh, you see errors straight away so it makes right. makes setting up your permissions um uh, quite uh, i wouldn't say easy but it's it, it directs you in the right place and you can uh, tw- uh, tweak the right permissions and that are uh, reasonably easy well, I appreciate that those Terraform routes are declarative, so you can see them running step by step, and they generate an error at the point of execution rather than sometimes later. Like so many times, we set a bunch of security permissions, and then you got to run some other piece of software and have it fail to be aware of what those permissions were doing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you're right. So generally, basically, once you've... um. Once you've um, applied all of those Terraform routes, you don't generally have many other problems in terms of uh, permissions. Right. Yeah, so you, you, yeah, that's sort of narrowing down the scope 
and uh, and hopefully eliminating some dumbness from your life. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a big believer in these sort of declarative infrastructure as code models just for exactly that. You know exactly what you're asking for and, and it then lets you know as you do it whether it's working or not. Mm. Yep. What it won't do is detect when you forgot something. When you've left something off, it's just that when you go to deploy that space, it doesn't work. And there's something else depends on that thing that you've left off. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one script you don't know works for sure is the last one you ran. <laughs> right? the, the previous ones were probably right because the later ones ran, but the last one, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah. So, the last one for us is the API and that's, yeah, which is, which is good because it means we can basically just uh, smoke test the thing. Yeah. Now, you run your typical test to fire all the APIs and see if they work and that- yeah. That'll give you pretty clearly if that last script is right or not. Yeah, it's good to have that harness piece on it. Well, should we dig into some of the other areas that that Purple Team pokes at? Like, where what do you find? What is it good at finding? So it it it's going to depend on what testers are plugged in. So it's it's got a pluggable architecture, right? So at the moment, um, as I mentioned, just the application testers plugged in there. Mm -hmm. I've got a server scanner and TLS uh, checker uh, that are stubbed out at the moment. Once they are implemented, um, uh, then you'll be getting our results for your um, SSL and TLS ciphers. Um, and uh, for your server scanner, you'll be getting our results um, uh, uh, for your uh, server configuration and that sort of thing. So kind of uh, quite different from application uh, defects. So, yeah, um, as I mentioned, the main reason why the application tester was done first was because it was... Uh, it basically hit, but it, it finds um, the biggest uh, bang for buck defects in your uh, code. Mm -hmm. um, so your code's running, your web application or your APIs are running, and it basically yeah finds everything that's in the OWASP top ten plus a lot of other stuff. Um, so Simon Bennett's is um, is the main guy behind that. And uh, and uh, the core team, he's got a core team there, and yeah, they're working tirelessly um, on Zap all the time. And uh, so is the uh, so is the community. Uh, the community is always adding um, extra plugins and stuff like that as well to find additional defects. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, I wonder if Zap's at a place now where nobody could pass everything that Zap has built into it. Well, there's other um, intercepting. HTTP intercepting proxies that are similar, like Burp Suite, uh, but there's not right. too many that are sort of at at that same level now. Yeah, uh, Burp Suites um, is has got a very clean interface, and um, it I think it's cleaner um, to use than Zap and uh, less cluttered. Uh, but then I sort of feel like Zaps are better for digging into uh, some of the more um, finicky sort of issues and. Yeah, it just, it just seems like it's it's got more knobs and controls on it. Mm -hmm. mm. And is this another free to use tool, or, yeah. they, or do they have a free level then a paid level? No, no, it's all free. Zap. Wow. Oh, Zap's all free, but it's being consumed by uh, some other organisations as well, and then um, inserted into different um, products. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, different paid for products. Right. Yeah. Because I've I've talked about Burp on the run as side as the sort of something you run on a routine basis inside of your network to sort of find new vulnerabilities. Uh, yeah, it's, it's 
it's sweet spot. I I think is also web applications and APIs. It's 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 targeting the same sort of uh, threat space as um right as uh, Zap is Zap proxy. Oh, okay, I buy that. Yeah, yeah. You do these kinds of scans or poke at these apps. Is there a consideration for it's an internally only app inside the firewall versus it's an externally facing app? Uh, at the moment, not really. We've got a um, we've got a, a backlog item to um, uh, to add auditing, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's that's not done yet. Um, so yeah, yeah. So in the cloud, uh, is that can basically, uh, sorry, Zap, a purple team can hit anything that it can see from the internet. Um, and the local instance basically can hit anything in the cloud and anything that it can see within your network. Okay. and Because I guess, con- you know, context matters in that case. If you've got an internal-only app, it, it might I'll be running different privilege levels and, and uh, uh, well, you know, the way that it's going to get exploited is different. Yeah, so currently... Um, if you use the local environment, which is OWASP, um, Purple Team, mm-hmm. uh, that would be the best bet for your internal stuff. Right. Yeah. And that should turn it up. Do you, I mean, so it's always a question of how secure do I need to make internal apps too? <laughs> I, I would say just as, ex, just as secure as external because, um, because at least 50% of attackers come from with, I come from within, um, organizations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whether they, whether they it's a, somebody carrying a, an infected USB key into the organization or a disgruntled worker, yeah. like there's a bunch of ways. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So it could be ultimately coming from external, but they've uh, got a foothold within your network or within your yeah. organization, or like and you now say, exploit these other apps. Yeah, or it could be the disgruntled employee. Yeah, I've seen both scenarios. That doubt. <sighs> Any comments on the whole Solar Winds thing? Because I I've feel like the security folks are looking at this going holy man this is a whole other set of ways to think yeah no i'm staying out of it <laughs> i've got enough Good on for my you, plate. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah very very high level state actor kind of this is what modern cyber warfare looks like today you apparently. guys carry on <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't want it yeah it's very different from wow just in terms of thinking about a bad actor gets into your network and modifies your source code to distribute to your customers that allows them to be exploited. Yeah. That's a different set of security concerns. Yeah, it's smart thinking. It's very clever. Very clever what, what they came up with. No two ways about it. And I don't know how we defend against this ultimately. It's like how you have a trusted vendor. You've used many versions of software. What happens when one of their versions has been exploited? How do you even pick that up? Yeah, so you can only hope for the best, really. Um, apply defense in depth and hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was it was a security vendor that found it in the first place because it was doing unusual communications. Mm-hmm. Like it was straight up point port monitoring that found this piece of software, which has never talked this way before, is now talking this weird way to an external server, which happened to be Russian. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, oh, that's another thing. So, um, so often with... Um, Attackers and that, well, the, the good ones when they're inside your network, uh, their traffic will look like any other a normal traffic. Yeah, that's the yeah. whole point of of succeeding as a as an attacker is to make your traffic look like normal traffic, so that it's not yeah. noticed. And your IDSs and that don't pick it up. Yeah, that's that's a, that's tricky. 
And it's definitely a different level of thinking around what you do to secure your app versus what you do when you're under attack. Yeah, exactly. It's incident response when you're under attack. Which, you know, it's always quite, <laughs> you know, I'm looking again at the OWASP thing. It's like, typically people aren't picking up that they've been attacked for months mm. and months. Yeah, hundreds of days. Yeah, hundreds of days before you detect the, the that you've been exploited. And uh, SolarWinds was no different than that. I don't know how you improve that. Like, what is it? We're probably logging everything we need. We're just not looking at the logs. Yeah, so again, I think it's just, um, it's, it's defense in depth. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, you've got to basically improve everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just get serious That's the about it. Improve everything. Get serious That's about it. Awesome. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's plenty of information out there on what we should be doing. Um, yeah. Uh, do we have budget to do it? How do we not have budget to do? It? Yeah. Do we have budget to 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 be the source of an exploit? Yeah, that's right. We put we take the time to put locks on doors, even though they are inconvenient. You know, they slow the access to the building. So, what's coming up next? You're in alpha now. What does a beta look like for Purple Team? Yeah, so we're just basically working hard on on um, the issues. Um, so I've got a backlog full of issues that we just keep adding issues to it. Um, mm-hmm. So. Um, are this mostly coming from people using it going, hey, what about this and what about that? At the moment, most of them are coming from us, the developers that, um, right. that are working on it um, and realizing that we've missed something or something doesn't quite do what we thought it should. Um, we are really keen to get um, additional hands on it and uh, get community feedback and that sort of thing so that we can still keep on uh, making sure that it's going to um, be a great fit for um, engineers and their teams. Um, so we've got a, uh, we've got a, uh, we've got a back, uh, a backlog item in there at the moment to uh, build a doc site. Um, I've been sort of like, I spent the last probably two weeks, uh, working on, um, the documentation, cleaning it up and making the flow of it, um, better. Uh, it was a bit mm. disjointed. Um, it's, it's, it's getting better because you've got to navigate between, um, the actual, uh, readmes in, in the repositories, uh, uh, to set it up plus the documentation and yeah it was it sort of bounces you around a little bit at the moment um but that's because there's quite a few components to it if you want to set it all up uh, uh locally yourself right um cool if you go with the cloud um environment then uh, all you have to set up is the cli and it's uh <laughs> it's a lot easier and there's not much time involved in that i poked around the github repository for purple team and notice that you, depending on the component, you've got some MIT license and some AGPL three licenses. Yeah, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so Purple Team, this um, the Purple Team our repository, which is the CLI that's open source and on NPM. Right. So, that, <clears throat> yeah. In fact, they're all uh, f- are free and open source. And the reason the reason some of those components are more restrictive is so that they <coughs> are. If they're going to be used within another uh, tool like uh, what I've uh, built, um, then I want the source code to be uh, openly available. You want people contributing back. Like, they, yeah. this is the <laughs> classic copy left. Like, if you're going to use this, make sure you're contributing back. Yeah, so yeah. between the CLI, you, uh, you can do whatever you want with that. There's uh, really no restrictions on that. But the other right. components in the back end are a little bit different. So if you're going to take those and modify them, and then monetize them. Um, I want right. them to be open sourced and yeah. 
No, it, it, I, that's very intentional licensing, Kim. Like, I appreciate yeah, yeah. That, that you didn't pick any of these things accidentally. It's like, no, no, that's where that lives. And I, you know, make sure you're contributing to it. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's very cool. There's a bit of time spent on the licensing. I've been thinking about the licensing for three years, but I've only really applied them. <laughs> I've applied those licenses uh, this year. Right. Yeah. yeah, very good. Cool, man. Very interesting stuff. You're taking on a big project. It looks like it's still early days. Yeah, it's still really early days. Just hoping to get as many hands on it as possible. Right. Well, for sure. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, you know, we'll see some results from our listeners. Yeah. Because they're interested in this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Go get it. All right. Thanks very much, Kim. Yeah, so there's plenty of avenues there to also um, basically feedback and uh, tell us uh, what you need, what you want. Um, right. Yeah. Plenty of discussion places, um, even on GitHub. Like we've got the, uh, uh, what are they called? Um, I think it's called Discussions, actually. Yeah, Discussions yep, on yep. the main purpleting project. So you can strike up a discussion there. We're in the um, OWASP Slack um, as well. Uh, yeah, lots of ways to get hold of us. Excellent. Awesome. Hopefully that happens. Well, thanks again, Kim. It's been uh, really cool. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Yeah, you bet. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. <laughs>